0: dark and dusty drapes Let in some
1: light
0: Tell Bill Boy come get my trunk Cause I'm living here tonight And I packed my bags. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies uh, with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you, Meryl McNally? I'm
1: good, Zach. How are
0: you? I'm good. This is probably our quickest turnaround time since, like, we first got started. It, it really hasn't been that long this time. How about that? Uh, no,
1: two weeks. Nobody be
0: shocked. Nobody be shocked. All over in your cars
1: or on your runs. You have a new episode.
0: Yes. <laughs> But like I said, the uh, the trick will be, will I be able to edit it before I leave town for a <laughs> week? So it might still be a couple of weeks since it goes up, but we'll find out. Um, what have you been up that's to? People will,
1: people will still be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that's true. them
0: <laughs> <laughs> the length of time. Yeah. That, um, what have I been up to? School. Yeah. Per usual.
1: Yeah. And I... Um, talk a
0: little bit about it. I got to see Network last y- week with yes. Brian Cranston I'm, on Broadway. I'm excited to hear about this because we haven't talked about the actual content of the show. I just knew that you had seen it. So I'm excited to hear. How was it? It's
1: really interesting. I, it, it was Ovenhove who directed it. He, he's sort of on a, he's on a roll with movie adaptations to stage. Um, he just opened All About Eve in London with Julian Anderson and Willie James. Uh-huh. And then, um, not really a film adaptation, but he's working on a revival of West Side Story. He's a very interesting director. Interesting. Really, really fascinating. Yeah. See, um, it is visually stunning. I really haven't ever seen anything like it in that there was so, um, there's so much media on stage. There are, there were several screens, there was one giant screen um, um, upstage, and then the whole upper portion of the set was basically a blank white wall. Huh. They um, they projected images there, and then they set up a newsroom on stage in, in glass walls, and there were, I mean, every size imaginable screen you could possibly imagine. It was a really interesting commentary on how we are drawn to a screen, because it was actually very challenging to sit and watch the show and not, not shift my focus to what was happening on the screens rather than what was happening on stage.
0: Right. Interesting. Because
1: they were, they were giving me real-time shots of everything that was going on on stage, so in addition to watching a Broadway show, I was essentially also watching a television show at the same time. It was it was very fascinating, but it is it is a very faithful, um, a very faithful adaptation of the, the classic film network. Um, and Brian Cranston um, plays Howard Gale. Nice. He is a powerhouse. Yeah. He's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to see it, you're you're going to see him. And the cast was starts with it. had Tatiana Maglani from Orphan Black and Tony Goldwyn, fantastic actor. It had it had a great and then I realized Nicholas Guest was in it as well. Um uh, Christopher Guest's brother.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a really great it was a really great cast. Um, it was just stunning. Nice. Just stunning.
0: Nice. Did the was there an audible reaction at the? Uh, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. I mean, do they do the actual line?
1: Oh yeah, they do the actual line. That scene is just incredibly intense because he's, um, you know, he's coming to her newsroom. He's totally, essentially, lost his marbles. He's just, and um, you know, it's coming. Bryan Kraft is so captivating. Um, it was interesting in the second half of the show they did a lot of audience work to like have the audience you know Howard Beals TV show and they'd like rub up the audience and get us to shout on that as hell and I don't want to take it anymore but it was very like, I don't like group participation like that
0: yeah. yeah I just
1: felt wildly uncomfortable okay but there was but there was quite a lot of that. That moment was brilliant, though. I think what's great about Brian Cranston is, well, one, he's just a powerhouse, but two, he's not um, hes not copying anybody else's performance. I mean, he really owns it in his own right, and it's, uh, whew, yeah, it was
0: intense. Nice, nice. Yeah. I, I actually just finished binge-watching... Um, Breaking Bad, again, I think it was my third time through um, the the whole thing, I think it was the third I, it was one of those situations where I think like really two and a half but um, yeah, I mean he's nobody needs to be told how incredible that show is, but it really is so layered and so, like there are just things that, there are four or five moments throughout that show that will just stay with me forever, like things you can't unsee and um, yeah you know, just amazing moments that if you get to watch it with somebody who's not seen it before, and you know those moments are coming, there, there's just like nothing better, you know. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, nice. Have you seen anything else of since we last talked? Anything else that's worth discussing?
1: I've been on. I've been on a documentary kick, and i I'm listening to. I'm listening to a new podcast called The Dropout. About um, bugs for the Dropout. It's about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Okay. Um, and the sort of sh- falling, the, the falling from grace. She was, um, Theranos was a you know multi billion dollar startup company in Silicon Valley, healthcare, promising new you know blood test technology that they just couldn't deliver on, and. She just built an empire on a lie and kept
0: going. Huh.
1: And it—I mean, thirteen years. Wow. She's she's a couple years younger than us. She took a couple classes at Stanford and dropped out and started this company on an idea that wasn't actually possible with the technology we have right now. And she crafted a public image for herself. Um... Essentially based on Steve Jobs and managed to get people to donate billions or uh, invest billions of dollars in her company. See. Uh, to the point where they opened up stores in Walgreens. They opened up, quote, wellness centers in Walgreens all over California for these blood tests that didn't exist. This
0: is, the, the fraud kind of stuff is the stuff that actually blows my mind in the true crime yeah. genre. It's just, we, I watched one on Netflix the other day. I can't remember what it was called. And I don't think it's one of the more popular ones, but it's this woman who basically stole millions of dollars from her, from her town. And she had like this whole side gig where she owned hundreds and hundreds of horses that, you know, she showed professionally and all of this. She had this like total side hustle that nobody knew about, but she was embezzling from the city that she worked for as like the, the, city clerk or something and embezzled just millions and millions of dollars and it took years before they caught her and it's that sort of stuff that i'm like how is that stuff happening i mean like it just doesn't make any sense like it's so strange the dichotomy that we have at this point and the people who get away with it just it's like limitless it's so crazy so it is and
1: i think um well, particularly with people like Elizabeth oh, Holmes, like who are essentially sociopaths, who don't have any empathy right. not in the way that we do. Right. I mean, they just don't have any qualms. And they are so, But here's the thing, is that they are so dedicated to their lie that I think they believe it. I was watching another documentary on Netflix called Fire about the Fire Music Festival, that actually wasn't a music festival. Right? Yeah. It was a total sham. Yeah. I mean, that guy was the same way. It's like you, 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 you're the big idea person, and it's everybody else else's job to make it happen for you. Right. And if they don't, it's not your fault. I really do think that that's the attitude.
0: It's crazy to me. Yeah. No, you're right. It, it is It does fascinate me. Yeah, you're right. It is a complete lack of it is very sociopathic behavior because you it's not even it, you're right that it is probably a a part that like I have the best idea and even if it doesn't work it's still a good idea and I should, you know, like get my get my best shot in or something like that. But it's also the like total lack of of awareness of how it's negatively affecting other people when it does fail and and lack of caring when it does you know it's just mind boggling but um right. anyway well that's good um i i haven't uh been able to get to the movies i was on such a run up until oscars time i feel like i kind of am i don't know i'm deflated now uh we've it's also yeah. been we've been getting so much snow here that it just the idea of leaving the house when you don't have to is kind of um I don't know. You remember what that's like winter in the Midwest. Um, so I haven't gone to see anything. However, I remembered after our last time. And in fact, I texted you and said, Oh, I had such a good story about one of the other movies that I saw. So I think I'll tell that story now if that's okay. Um, I went to see the movie Widows when it came out, which you and I had talked about a couple episodes ago, how excited we were. I think you had seen the trailer and were really excited for, uh, Viola Davis and, um, so I went to see it and it turned out to be one of the strangest movie going experiences that I've had in a while. So oh no, what happened? it was, it was a movie pass situation. So, um, I'm going to say things that if I, I might get my movie pass card taken away from me or something, I'm not supposed to say this, but I kind of don't care. Cause I'm just about <laughs> done with movie pass at this point anyway. Um, so I think
1: movie pass. I don't want to get in trouble. Somebody told me, and I don't know the accuracy of this, so somebody else will have to look it up and verify that that movie pass was potentially coming to
0: an end? I think it's been rumored for so long. I would not be surprised. I I have to say I'm so frustrated by it. And it was one of those things where I think the real issue was it was that – it was so too good to be true when we first started with it. But that's the thing is we had it that way for, you know, six months or, you know, some people even longer than that. And so, you know, instead of just being like, well, we got away with it for a while. Now we're like, well, now we, I don't know. There's just so many things that have just dive, you know, it's just not like it used to be. And the main thing is that, um, you used to be able to see basically any movie you wanted and you know when it first started you could see one a day which was incredible now you get wow. to now you get to see something like i don't know 3 a month which is still fine you know most people don't go to the movies more than that anyway so that i get it you know they were going to lose money they were going to hemorrhage money at that point i kind of get that side of things however with that they also started telling you what movies you could go to so on any given day you might have one option and it's not a movie you necessarily want to go to. And in fact, there are some days when I click on it and there are no options. It'll just say there are no screenings available in your area today. Well, why am I buying this thing? you know like what is this? Yeah So why I'm talking about that is because uh, part of part of the reason that this experience ended up being kind of negative was, I said I was going to see a different movie (laughs) and I snuck into widows. So it was, which, Hey, we've all done it. You know, I'm not the first person to do that. It is what it is. So (laughs) the problem was it was a reserved seating situation and it was a very full theater. Okay. So it like, I walked in and basically the entire like back section was full And so I was like, okay, I'm going to have to sit in the front row. Not ideal, but I'm just going to suck it up and do it. And I sat right in the middle of the front row. And, you know, there's maybe four or five seats on either side of me. Shortly after I sit down, a group of, it was like three or four couples. So six or eight people come in. And again, they're in the same boat that I'm in. They have nowhere else to go. So I slide down to the end of the aisle so that they can sit together. Well, as soon as the movie starts, one of the couples just is like, screw this. And they get up and they walk to the back of the theater and find like, they abandon their group basically and find two seats somewhere in the back. Um, okay. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to move back over there. That's really weird. But then in the in the meantime, another group of young kids comes in. And I'm saying young, they were probably like early high school. And this movie theater is attached to a mall. So they come in with all this like food court food. They come in with like Aunt Annie's pretzels and like pizza slices and all sorts of stuff. Now that I don't particularly care about. I, I wouldn't say I minded it, but it was really distracting. You know, like they were unwrapping stuff it felt like for an hour. And it was just kind of, okay, there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot going on over there, but they'll get settled eventually, right? So the okay. the guy next to me, I'm not exaggerating when I say I don't think he ever looked up from his phone the entire movie. He was on his phone the entire time, swiping up, swiping down. He was like on Facebook the whole time. And the best part was when something he was still listening to the movie, like he was kind of aware of what was happening. Because every once in a while, he would hear something and turn to his friend on the other side and go, wait a sec, what just happened? And it was like, kid, no. look up from your phone. I mean, it was really obnoxious because this happened over and over and over again. And then the thing that I could not believe was happening, and I think if you had put it in a Saturday Night Live skit or something, it would be like too broad. They played a, a, some song in the movie that he got really excited about. So what did he do? He brought that song up on his phone and started playing it from his phone. Not no. in headphones. Like, he lifted it up and was, like, jamming to it while the movie was going on. The same song that had just played in the movie. It was so, so strange. And so by this point... Now, there was a gr- this was a group of them, though. There was like four or five of them, and I was there by myself. So I'm like, okay, I can't confront them, and I'm also not really a confrontational type. But I was frustrated, so I just did the very Midwest-like, you know, repressed. I got up, and I moved over to that seat that I said I wasn't going to move to before. I was just like, okay, I'm yep. not sitting by these people anymore. As soon as I sit down, there was a twist in the movie, and the guy behind me, as soon as I sit down, goes... I hate this movie so much, so loudly. <laughs> and I was like, okay, now I'm gonna have this guy to contend with. What is happening? This is so nuts. And actually, it was just one of those things this Widows was made. I think I could be wrong on this, but I think it's like by the same people who did like Girl on the Train and Gone Girl. It's you know, that same author, I think. And so there's always like a twist, you know, and there was a, there was a twist in this movie. And so the twist, let's say lost a few people in, in my particular theater. They did not like it. There was a lot of audible, you've got to be kidding me. And a slight coda to this story. I'm almost done with this story. That's too long. But a, a week or two later, I went to see, I can't remember if it was Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody. One of the two. And as I was leaving that theater, there was this again this group of like two couples. Now these were these were older couples; these were like you know probably our parents' age. And they were talking about how much they liked the movie, and I was just kind of hearing what they were saying. And I heard the guy say, "Oh yeah, it's so much better than this movie we saw last week." And the other couple goes, "Well, what movie did you see last week?" And he goes, "I can't remember what it was called, but it was it was about these women robbing this bank, and it was just so stupid." <laughs> And I thought I kind of liked that movie, you know. I mean, I I agree it wasn't like the best movie I ever saw, but like really, people did not like the twist in this movie. At least the people that I encountered out and about my in my couple of weeks there. So anyway, that's my story about widows. Um, I I just couldn't believe it. It's an adventure. I couldn't believe it when the guy started playing the song. I thought I was gonna. Uh, just lose my know. mind. That's nuts.
1: That is really nuts. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had some interesting movie going experiences. I remember when I went to see the wrestler in the movie theater in Albuquerque with my friend Liz, we, um, <clears throat> these teenagers, they were just, they were acting crazy and it wasn't like, it wasn't a normal teenager crazy. <laughs> it was some things amiss kind of crazy and there was this couple sitting behind us and the wife was the woman was pregnant and um he got so angry at these teenagers he started crawling overseas to like go after them oh wow and he was like yeah he his temper flared and Liz and I were like in the middle of it and like, oh my god yeah
0: <laughs> and,
1: be like, God, it's very
0: stressful. And you're like, I what I expected. My body get to come sit and watch a movie. Right, it's yeah. Very stressful. Yeah. Well, I think I talked about it when it happened a couple of years ago, but my other favorite encounter, and this happened in, in Arizona when we lived there, was um, we went to see the movie Lawless. I don't know if you saw that. It was Shia LaBeouf yeah. and um, Jessica Chastain. and um, It Ball was... Party. Yeah. And it was it was not a very good movie. And um, it one of the things that happened that at the time when it started, I, it was another I can't believe this is happening. However, because this movie was so bad, it actually started to become really funny was the guy directly behind me would repeat every line that one character had. I can't remember which character, but one of the characters had kind of an exaggerated drawl. And for some reason, this guy behind me thought it was so funny. And so he would repeat verbatim every single line that that guy had in the movie. And and like I said, super obnoxious at first. Like, again, complete lack of awareness. However, it also became so funny because it was just like (laughs) the movie was worthless anyway. And it was just kind of like, okay, well, at least I'm getting some entertainment here from the crowd because, wow, this is bad. But anyway all right well shall we dive into silkwood finally finally how many how many months have we been been talking about silkwood i can't wait to hear what you actually think of this movie um should we start with the plot i feel like let's start with the plot in this one it's a little bit it's it's old enough that if you don't remember it you might need an uh, a reminder do you mind doing that part
1: no not at all um me. I'm going to pull this up real quick because I would like to get the facts about Karen Silkwood correct. Um, so Silkwood is um, kind of a biopic, I would say that loosely, um, about um, Karen Silkwood who um, worked in a plutonium factory in Oklahoma in the 70s and became a really outspoken union activist uh, because of issues she was witnessing in her own factory. And this film sort of posts her story, um, kind of a personal life story, and then also, um, you know, the union, the union and work environment situation. And um, I, I don't think, I don't think I'm spoiling anything because this actually happened and was a court case all the way to the Supreme Court. But if you guys want to watch the film and you don't want to know what happens at the end, just turn off the podcast for a second. Um, She actually died under very suspicious circumstances in a single car accident that um, I think most people believe was caused by the plutonium plant she was working at.
0: Yeah, I certainly do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so do I, for sure. Um, Uh,
0: Go. Yeah, no, and one of the things, as long as we're kind of in the spoilery section, um, this is is jumping way ahead, of course, but... um, You know she is heavily, heavily, heavily exposed um, to to yeah. radiation, and in fact, I think the real Karen Silkwood. I think I read. I should I should find it again, but I think it, she had something like forty times the level that was healthy. You know that was deemed acceptable, yeah. something like that. And the thing that really kind of made my skin crawl was somebody a few years ago. So you know, forty years or so after she's she's been gone. Went to her uh-huh. went to her grave with a Geiger counter and it's still Oh wow. It still goes off because of the radiation. Wow. Yeah. I mean forty years later, in her in her grave, she's still giving off levels of radiation that set off a Geiger I counter.
1: I have to I have to say, like on the front end of this, before we really get into the film, um, it's really fascinating to watch this happening in the seventies because I've been reading a book called reading Girls. Uh-huh. Um, about the very young teenage girls who went to work in the radium, um, radium corporations in the United States, painting clock dials. Huh. They were using radium paint to have to make clocks glow in the dark. Wow. And these corporations knew that radium was toxic. And one of the early scientists who had developed the paint to use on the clocks had gotten a little bit on his fingertip, and he cut off his own finger. I mean, that's, he knew. Wow. And these teenage girls, they were, it was a powder paint, and they would lip-pick their paintbrushes with this radium on it, and paint these crocodiles. and it was powder, and they would mix it um, to, with liquid to turn into paint, but the powder was all over them. They glowed in the dark. Wow. and. They made more money than other places, um, other employees at other corporations. And so they, you know, got to buy really nice dress. Everybody wanted to be them. And they died terrible deaths. And these corporations, I mean, Radium Diode Corporation and another one in Illinois, they just stopped. They just denied it to their graves and just fought them. And it's, I mean, it's truly awful. I mean, these women's jaws rotted off. Wow. They're like, yeah, it was horrible. So, and it's just really, you think, they would take the discarded radium powder, um, the remnants, and they were like, don't leave it to schools for playgrounds. Right. I <laughs> mean, you think we're in 1970 and we're still not doing quality control on radioactive material, and it's like, well, I just really... Of course, we all have cancer.
0: <laughs> right. Wow. I
1: don't think there's any avoiding it at this point.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. So it kind of tapped into that for me. So I thought it was really interesting to sort of see how, um, you know, sixty years later, it's still happening. Right. You know, between between Silkwood and and you know the 1920s when these women's illnesses came to light.
0: Right. Right. So this movie, did it, did it hold up to, uh, to my hype?
1: Yes and no.
0: Okay.
1: So it, it's really brilliant, right? Like it's just, it's a brilliant, you feel like a voyeur almost. So it's got, it's got a naturalness to it and an and an ease maybe uh-huh. even with that even with that subject matter it's just it's easy to do with the characters the actors it's just genius all of them
0: yeah
1: everyone everyone in the movie is flawless i think my the only thing i watched it knowing nothing about karen so Good. and knowing nothing about that situation and knowing nothing about the film and I, I may have read the plot at some point, I chose not to go back to it, so I watched it completely blind. And then I went and I read about Karen Bookwood. I love everything about the film, except the fact that they re- it doesn't quite capture the level of outspokenness she really did embrace. Sure. It doesn't quite get there. like. You almost feel like she's just sort of casually or subtly, like bringing stuff up, or it, it it almost even makes it sound like she's complaining.
0: Right. Sure.
1: And it's a little, it's just a little hard to tap. Like you know, she she testified in front of con- a congressional committee right. on this stuff, and that stuff is very much glazed over. She was a powerhouse. Yeah. And she, she sort of, you know, she blazed the trail for women in that arena in a big way. And it's not that I think it necessarily needed to get on a soapbox about that. But I, I think it did a disservice to Karen Silkwood by not quite embracing that fully.
0: Sure. Okay, that's fair. That's my only complaint. I, I kind of see what you're saying in the way that um, I actually just watched it again this morning because it had been I don't remember when the last time we said we were going to do it. I feel like I watched this like two months ago, uh, but obviously not not soon enough to like be really talking about it intelligently today. So I rewatched it again. And um, the thing that c- kind of gets to what you're talking about that I felt like today was it felt like everyone turned on her kind of abruptly Um especially yeah. Kurt, Kurt Russell, that whole, um, I mean, Kurt, the character Kurt Russell plays, I should say. Um, and I, so that I can see a little bit of, in that it, it almost kind of, like you say, almost portrayed it as like, she was just maybe one of those people who I'm kind of, right. yeah, where she's, she was maybe speaking too loosely and just kind of one of those people who, says stuff that every once in a while something she would say would get her in trouble and just kind of like a slightly uh bigger version of that where people were basically just saying like, you know, stop, stop asking questions. We want to keep our jobs. And, you know, but then it led to, you know, it, it led to her being broken up with. And it, there was a section of the movie where her, her best friend played by Cher, they are at odds. You know, they're really at each other's throats there for a little bit. And, Um, you know, so there seem to be consequences and it's almost, um, I don't know, the consequences this time felt a little bit like, well, I don't know, that we did enough to really demonstrate how those consequences came to be and what she was really up against. And that's maybe what it came down to is like how much she really had to lose, what any whistleblower has to lose, you know, like she was really risking everything that she had. This is a woman who had virtually nothing. And she was willing to put it on the line, you know, and moments like on that when they're taking the airplane to Washington, D.C. and they put down the um, the tray of food and she asks the lady, how much is this? And you realize she's asking that question because there's a real solid chance she doesn't have the money to pay for it, you know. And yet at, at the same time, she's willing to risk losing her job. Uh, you know this job that is really all that she has. That's kind yeah. of amazing when people are you know willing to do that. So there was a little bit of that for me this particular time too. But um, yeah. But the cast in this movie, I think that's what it is for me. Is like it just you can tell, and there are a lot of reports of you know, what a what a wonderful work environment it was that she and Cher became best friends and and Kurt Russell got along really well with everybody. That was just one of those sets where it was just so harmonious. And I really feel like you can feel that. You know, there's just some oh, yeah. there's just I don't know, great chemistry between everybody. And I I like the direction in this movie. And in fact the more times that I see this movie Uh, you know, I don't agree with every choice, but, um, and in fact, there is one towards the end. I don't know if, I don't know if you remember the moment where Kurt Russell punches Craig T. Nelson. Do you remember that moment? First of all, it's a bad, it's a really bad punch. It's just choreographed bad. It looks really fake. But the other, the other thing that happens in that scene that I disagree with is as soon as he does it, he gets in a car and runs away like he is so terrified. And I'm like, this is Kurt Russell. Are we supposed to believe Craig T. Nelson could like lay out Kurt Russell? I mean, maybe he could. I don't know, but Kurt Russell had at that point, especially like, been a giant action star. <laughs> you know, like it—it it yeah. seems strange to me that he would run as if he is so terrified of what was about to happen. Um, I don't I know.
1: I think the character too, up to that point, um, Drew. I think is the character same, right? Yeah. Um, the character up to that point doesn't seem like somebody who would run and right he seemed pretty grounded It you was know, sort of a grounded take it as it comes kind of guy right um, so that it was a little weird and I I agree like it was sort of a jarring moment where you're like huh! and I'm wondering if something got edited yeah maybe yeah because I'm there was like a deep Christ. Craig Nelson is amazing in this movie. I love him so much as an actor anyway, but I just, he is so phenomenally creepy in the most subtle, sort of terrifying way in this movie.
0: Yeah.
1: And, yeah, I mean, you just, for, for me, I just, I got the sense of um, yeah, physical, physical and emotional threat from him, you know? You're just like, oh, this guy, it's still work. Right. <laughs> um, but you don't know why, because they never tell you, but it's there, and it's hanging there. And, um, and I don't know if they were trying to tap into that with that moment, or because he knew he was sort of a company man. If he was sort of running away from the corporation. I don't
0: know. Yeah, well, I, don't
1: know. I agree with you. It was a weird moment.
0: Yeah, I felt like the scene with Craig T. Nelson. I mean, there were several. Like you say, he's very good in the movie, and he really is. Like I've seen him in a lot of stuff. You know, he was in Grace and Frankie, and um, he was in that book club movie recently. Um, you know, where he's it's kind he's of. Great. Grace and Frankie? Yeah, he's on it not for not for all that long. I can't remember if it was season two or three. He had a he was on okay. there for a little bit. But um, and he, um, you know, he's been playing these kind of very lighthearted characters. I feel like I've seen him in a lot of that lately. But yeah, he really is okay. able to play kind of a scary Actually, you know who he reminds me of a little bit? He's got kind of when John Lithgow plays the creepy guy. I don't know if you ever saw that season of Dexter where John Lithgow was the bad guy, but um and he's he's done a couple movies where he's been that way, too, kind of earlier 90s movies where he was kind of the creepy bad guy a few times, but um he's got that same sort of quality to him, you know, where it's not that he's so physically overpowering there's just something there in the intensity and the kind of I don't know it's almost behind the eyes rather than behind the body kind of and um I don't know so there's there's something there where he really he really does but the scene that was really effective I thought was the scene where he catches Karen Silkwood um snooping in his office because Karen has seen him doctor some x-ray images and so she's trying to to basically get those she's trying to document that for their case for the new york times and so she sneaks into his office and is trying to get them and he's he catches her you know he catches her opening his drawers and he says what are you doing in here and you know she kind of plays it off a little bit and um i don't know that scene had a lot of intensity and kind of uh kind of menace to it you didn't know where it was going to go basically you could see him lashing out you could also see him being convinced by karen to you know join her you know that i think is an effective scene because it could have gone a couple of different ways and it wasn't really uh for sure where it was going to go
1: yeah i I think you're right you nailed it that's why it's so um it's, it's almost stressful to watch because you really don't know which way it's gonna go. And you know who he reminds me of with that intensity because it is behind the eyes? He reminds me of Glenn Close in that way. Ah, interesting. Very, yeah. And um, yeah, it does you you just don't know you don't know what he's gonna do. Like even in the beginning, the first thing where you meet him. You're like, am I supposed to like this guy or am I not supposed to like this guy? And you're right. never
0: quite sure. I feel like this whole cast, you know, we've talked a little bit about the the big three, Meryl, uh, Sharon, Kurt Russell. But, you know, this is mm-hmm. just one of those casts where almost everybody you see is like just a really like long term character actor. Um David Strathairn is oh, yeah. in there. Fred Ward is in there. I've seen him in a lot of movies. Um, even James Rebhorn comes in later as the doctor, you know, from from Homeland and so oh, many yeah. other things. Um, there's a couple others that I'm forgetting, uh, but just like really great character actors and actresses, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, who am I thinking of? Um, uh, uh, Joseph Summer is in there as the as
0: union guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Silver, yeah, Bruce McGill. Yeah, it's a really it's it's a phenomenal cast. You know what I think this movie also does really, really well is it captures um, it captures the look and feel of Oklahoma and Southwestern America really beautifully in a way that most films don't, the only um, one of the only ones that comes fine, I'm sure there's others, but um, is Hell or High Water.
0: Oh, sure. Um, Yeah.
1: Tara Sheridan's film tend to capture the Southwest really, really well. It's how they really
0: are. Right. Um, I I was going to ask you about that because uh, most of this was filmed in New Mexico and Texas. I think actually most of it was in Texas, but some of it in New Mexico as well. Yeah. And you're from New Mexico.
1: Yeah, no, it's dead accurate. Like when she drives to... There, there, were a couple scenes where they used like green screen for the cars, and it was like, "Ooh, ouch!" That must have been a retake or something. Sure. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like when she goes to see her kids in Texas, um, and you see, you know, she's sitting, she's sitting in the kitchen and waiting for her kids to come home with her ex-husband, and out the window you can see the oil refinery in the background. Uh huh. I mean yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's a common it's a common sight. It's you you just see that. That's the landscape. It's almost flat plains land and oil refineries and rigs and um, and granted that's just for the sort of southwestern part. Right of
0: Texas. Right. Um, but yeah. Well and I capture it really well. Not to sound completely naive actually, but there there was it that thought had occurred to me too because there's been a couple times where, um, again, with all this kind of snowy weather that we've been dealing with, there have been a couple times where I've been thinking about. Um, so like the other day, I had a car that wouldn't start, and it was no big deal. You know, the battery it just needed a jump start. So you know, AAA came and it was fine within an hour, and I I just kept thinking. You know, wow, these things are really so much more manageable. So then, like, think of this movie, which, again, is set in 1974-ish. I mean, that's when the real Karen Silkwood died, so roughly then. Yeah. And kind of late in the movie, she hits a deer and, you know, is just kind of stuck on the side of the road until somebody comes along and can make a phone call for her. And that's yeah. the sort of thing where it's like, you know, if she had been followed by somebody, you know, like if somebody was actually tailing her in the hopes of doing her harm or anybody in the, you know, in Oklahoma, in the middle yeah. of Oklahoma in 1974, you could probably oh, yeah. have killed her and buried her. And, you know, there would obviously be questions about it, but you hypothetically could get away with it. You know, I mean, like it is... It is a very different world that we're in now and how scary, you know, again, just goes to the courage that she had because she would have known. I don't know. Did you have the thought at all to, I just kept thinking in all of the, the medical scenes later where she's, you know, they talk about how sophisticated the machines that they have are in detecting, you know, the levels of radiation and all of that. And I kept thinking, boy, back in the day, you know, 1974, this machine, like, that would have been enough to have them go yeah that's great okay i'm good you know and they would just oh, yeah. they would have believed it now now again today if we had those same machines we would think nothing you know like i wouldn't trust those machines but are, are we as equally naive, you know, so if we could fast forward 40 years from now, are they going to look at this technology and go, man, they really had nothing. They thought, I, I have my cancer, cancer curing pill that I take every morning now, you know, like it's just, it's,
1: yeah, well, going back to radium girls, they were using radium as they were treating it as like, as, as a health supplement. Oh, yeah. They oh. were putting radium in Tuesdays and saying it was great for your health. I mean, yeah. I mean, surely we... I mean, I think science has progressed so much that to some degree we we know more, but there's so much that gets hidden from us. Yeah. So much. Yeah. And and especially because I, like, more and more, I'm <laughs> becoming a shaded old woman, and I am fairly certain that the only thing that motivates the world is money. Yeah, and um, and you know, it just doesn't—it just doesn't care for human life.
0: Right. Yeah, you're right. And it's sad, but true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we should mention a couple of things, kind of obvious things. If you listen to a Meryl Streep podcast, you probably know these things. But on the off chance you don't, we should mention that this movie is directed by Mike Nichols and written by Nora Ephron. Yes. Um. You know, multiple collaborations that she had with each of them, but I think this was maybe the first that she had with either of them. I know with Mike Nichols, she, after this, did Heartburn, Postcards from the Edge, and the Angels in America um, miniseries. I can't remember if I'm missing one or not, but... And Nora Ephron, she did this. She did Heartburn as well. And then Nora Ephron eventually directed her in Julia and Julia. So she worked with each of them again um, multiple times. But I think this was the first. um, I should know this, but I think think it was. Um, Another thing that will maybe blow your mind, she had Meryl Streep had two weeks off in between the end of filming Sophie's Choice and starting this movie. Think about how crazy that is.
1: Are you
0: serious? That's, yeah. She's completely
1: transformed. I know.
0: Physically, That's like, co- I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, if you watch this and Sophie's Choice back to back, physically, it's almost a different person. You know, I mean, like, person. she's so pale and so kind of... Um,
1: Trail and almost ethereal.
0: Yes, in, in Sophie's Choice. And in this, she's kind of a badass. How did you feel about that mullet, by the way?
1: Oh, my God. I loved it so much. I Well, I looked up um, when I was reading about um, Karen Silkwood. I mean, the, the hair is dead on.
0: Is it? She so, kind of rocks yeah. it. She really... She kind of... Yeah. She pulls it off.
1: She does. She always does, though. I tell you, I, you know what? I think that... Um, There's something going on in hair and makeup now that is, and I'm not sure what it is. I can't put my finger on it. I know in television it's the use of extensions and that sort of like curled look um, that is making everybody's hair look the same. Hmm. But I think also actors, big actors, are less willing to embrace different hairstyles. To be the characters? So, like, for instance, and there are obviously exceptions, but, like, Julia Roberts, she usually looks like Julia Roberts in the movie, right?
0: right? Yeah, right.
1: Or, uh, Jennifer Lopez. Right. She tends to have Jennifer Lopez hair in her movies. Obviously, obviously, like, it, it takes all kinds, but I don't feel like there's as much... I don't know, everything just looks so shiny and perfect and expensive. Like, even in period pieces that aren't supposed to look that way. And I... It just makes it subtly harder to buy into the story because I don't feel like I'm watching a real human being. I'm watching an actor and a celebrity play somebody. Right. And I can't shake that. And... I really do think it has something to do with hair and makeup. I know I know, there's a lot of theories about like social media and exposure to their personal lives. I don't think that's it. I mean, I've watched a lot of Meryl Streep movies. I know a lot about her. It does not prevent me from getting lost in her performances. Right. Kate Blanchett's the same way.
0: Yes, I she get, is.
1: I get lost in her performances. It doesn't matter what she's doing or how famous she is or how much I know
0: about her. Right. Do you feel like it is easier for certain people to transform themselves physically?
1: Sure. I think some people have a gift for it.
0: Yeah. Is Absolutely. there is and there anything in particular that like what is a what is a I don't want to say a quality but like what is it about somebody physically? Like they is it something they just have or don't have or is it is it more of a like are you self-conscious or not kind of thing?
1: I think it comes with the territory. It's a really difficult industry that is It's so frustrating. I feel terrible for actors because it's an industry that is just ruthlessly focused on how you look. And you're constantly getting told what's wrong, what needs to be fixed, how you need to be different. But then you're expected to be completely at ease in your own skin and transform into all these different people. We're essentially asking the impossible. Right. And um, I think... Yeah, some people are just more comfortable, can separate the two, you know, that sort of, the sort of being famous and watched and commented on all the time, and then the work.
0: Yeah, Um,
1: yeah. 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 It's a tough business, man.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, um, how did you feel about uh, Cher in this movie? Probably an unexpected casting Uh. choice.
1: Ed, she's so brilliant. I'm just such a big fan. I think she's a br- brilliant actor, and I I really always have, but I think it's because I grew up on Moonstruck, uh-huh. and I love it so much. It's in my top ten, for sure. And, um, and then, obviously, I saw Mermaid. She did um, a, oh, she was Mussolini.
0: Yep, yep.
1: Yeah, and I, and I hadn't um, masked, of course. Yeah. And she's just... She's so watchable. She's so good.
0: Yeah, she really is. She's so good. I think of the movies that I've seen her in, I feel like this is maybe her most transformative performance. Um, I feel like she yeah. really kind of and it's it's very early in her career. I think before this, she had she had made that Robert Altman movie, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. But uh this is one of the first like dramatic movies that she had made. Maybe one of the first movies at all that she had made. And um you know, I think like really demonstrated her chops right off the bat. You know, really um really is so good.
1: She told a really interesting story. I'm fairly certain it was about this movie. I'm going to look it up real quick. Um, where um, she... She was in LA. I can't remember where she was. So I know that she went to go see a screening of Silkwood. And when the credits rolled and the name share went on the screen, the audience started laughing. And she was in the back of the house. And she was devastated. So she went out and she called somebody and they, and they told her, sure, they're laughing now. They won't be laughing at the end
0: of the movie. Actually, I've heard that too. I don't think you're telling that story wrong. I've heard that.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I just thought, can you imagine? Can right. Can you imagine being in the back of the movie theater and having a crowd laugh at the mention of your name in a serious film? It would be devastating. Right. And she's so good in it.
0: Yeah, well, and that's the thing is there had to be a second half of that where, you know, everybody walked out going, oh my God, can you believe Cher? I also, I mean, I guess it was a different time. You know, this movie came out in 1983. I don't know. There's part of that story that is almost um, strange to me in the idea that people would go to this movie not knowing that she's in it. But that I guess it is possible back in 1983 that you might not know. You know. And now it feels like... I don't know. It's so rare to be surprised by something like that. I feel like we go Yeah. W- w- the movie the the trailer gives everything in the movie away at this point anyway, so it's kind of like movies it's hard to have a good surprise in a movie at this point. Um I feel like yeah. I feel like the days when you could get away with movies like, you know, The Usual Suspects or, you know, what what were some other movies that had like giant twists? There was one where they asked the audience not to give away um, the ending to their friends to, like, to not talk about it for a couple of weeks. I can't remember I what that know. was, but... You know what I'm talking really?
1: about? No, i had a big twist? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, I don't know, movies like that are just kind of done with for the most part. It's re- it's really rare because it, we just know so much about it. it. You know, there's so much access to everything. But, um, but yeah, I think she really... I cemented a solid career for herself. It really her movie career has been interesting to me because it's she did so many movies in the eighties, and then you know she did do Tea with Mussolini, which was in the nineties. But it seems like she really kind of stopped after that, and I can't imagine that it was she wasn't getting work or offers. I it just seems like maybe she just kind of lost interest or something. She doesn't make very many movies. No,
1: she doesn't. Yeah, I think I, her music career too is. A
0: priority I'm sure yeah yeah but kind of interesting that uh, things went the way they were I don't know the fact that um, I actually was just watching this movie was nominated for I think four or five Academy Awards um, including you know actress for Meryl uh, supporting actress for Cher uh, Best Picture I think Best Director too um and it didn't win anything at the oscars but the one thing it did win at the golden globes was best supporting actress and so i actually just watched Cher's speech and um oh, yeah? two things about it i'll actually put up the audio at the end of this episode but two things about it do you know who presented that award yeah, yeah. our old friend uh and friend of the podcast leslie ann warren presented oh, to really? yeah she presented it to share it was Leslie Ann Warren and Jeff Bridges were the um, presenters of that award and it was kind of fun because when Jeff Bridges is the one who opens the envelope but Leslie Ann Warren um, kind of sees that it's Cher and you can hear her say oh yes you know she gets excited that it was Cher that won Um, so when Cher comes up it really is kind of a, a a flustered speech I don't know if she really wasn't expecting to win, but she, she gets up there and she says something to the effect of, oh, I can't think of anything to say. You guys just look at my dress for a minute and I'll think of something, <laughs> which is kind of, like, that's a very share thing to say. But, you know, she thanks her, like, you know, she thanks Sonny, She thanks her parents. She thanks her kids. And when she thanks people from the movies, from the movie, she thanks Meryl Streep and says, Meryl Streep is the best friend that I've ever had. And then she says, um, and I also want to thank Kurt Russell, who really is a big idiot. So, I I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting that they really, like the three of them really, really did get along. You know, Kurt Russell is on record saying that working with Meryl Streep is one of the highlights of his career. Uh, You know, like they really just got along so well.
1: He's, if there is, A picture of an actor, next to the term working actor, I feel like it's Kurt Russell. Really? I feel like he's so, I feel like he's wildly underrated. He's really brilliant in this movie. He is. And, um, you know, he was such a cute kid actor in those Disney movies. I don't know, did you ever see him in the Disney live action? No.
0: No. kid? No, I, I did know that he was in those, but I I don't think I ever saw him. Not that I remember anyway, but I did know that that's how he got his start.
1: Yeah, he's turning his heck, and he's, made, I mean, he's made some super quirky decisions, right? Yeah. Um. But yeah, and you know, one of my other favorite movies is actually
0: Tombstone. Oh, sure. I,
1: I love it. And um, it was interesting, because there are a lot of rumors that he, he essentially directed the film.
0: Well, that um, Val Kilmer's in that one, right? Yeah. Yeah, and Val Kilmer is, like, notoriously difficult, so there might have been something there.
1: Um, I think Val Kilmer is one of the people who's actually talked about it openly that Kurt Russell directed it. I think... Um, They had their director, I'm going to tell this wrong, I'm sure somebody somebody can fix it. I'm full of these today. Um, I think they lost their director really late in the project. And um, I'm I'm not positive there's an actual person connected with the name associated with that film, the director's name. I can't remember. But I I think Kurt Russell stepped up and did a lot of the work and didn't want to carry the burden of picking up a production. You know, he just didn't want it associated. Sure. He didn't want to carry the weight of the show. Sure. Um, and so I think he did a lot of it. I One of the reasons I love it so much is because it's incredibly theatrical. It, it almost feels like, even though it's a film, the way it's costumed, the way the story arc is, it feels like a theater piece to me. Interesting. Um and so I go back to it a lot. I love it. It's very Yeah. Nice. So anyway, I love Kurt Russell. I think he's brilliant. I think he's underrated.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. He's one of those actors who, um I think partially too because he made so much of his career in the action genre. Um yeah. that I I mean, I actually do like action movies quite a lot, but I, I can't say that I've seen a, a lot of his action movies, um, but I've always liked him in stuff that I've seen him in. And I, I would like to see him in more, you know, lately, the stuff that I've seen him in has been the Quentin Tarantino stuff that he's done. You know, he was in Hateful Eight and um, right. one or two other ones. I don't know. But um, that's kind of the stuff that I've seen him, in. he's been doing a lot of it. Seems like westerns and that kind of stuff lately. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Was he in any of those Expendables movies? Seems like maybe. I don't
1: think so.
0: No, I don't know. But yeah, look. <laughs> but he is. Has...
1: You know what else is so trippy is that he is a walking replica of my brother-in-law, oh. or my brother-in-law is a walking replica of him. They look so much alike. They, I mean, they could be father son. It's freaky. Hmm. And um, so every time, especially when I watched Kurt Russell Young, he did um, he did another he did a film with Goldie Hawn, not Overboard, but um,
0: the house. What's it called? It's, no, no, not. It's set in
1: the forties when his hair is really short. Yeah, it's scary how much he looks like my brother-in-law.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: Okay, Kurt Russell. Let's see what he's up to. Oh, he just did the Christmas Chronicles for Netflix, which I think was a big hit. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, and I watched part of it. Super cute. Super charming. He plays sort of a gump, grumpy, badass ass Santa. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You no, know, he's in the
1: Fate of the Furious. He does not appear to have ventured into the Expendables franchise.
0: Oh, yeah, Deepwater Horizon. That's
1: actually a pretty good film. Yep, I agree. About the oil rig explosion, yeah. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Well, he's... Oh, have you seen Bone Tomahawk?
0: No, but you've talked about that on this podcast, actually. I remember you yeah, talking about intense. that.
1: Yeah, I'd
0: recommend it. Yeah. It's intense, though. Yeah. Um, did you have favorite uh, scenes from this movie, favorite moments?
1: I think my favorite... Um, moment is Meryl Streep and Kurt are sitting out on the porch and it's, it's it's basically the moment they break up even though that's not said and she I can't remember what she says to him she essentially asks him to care you know why don't you care Yeah. and she gets up and she walks inside and he's sitting there and he says Sure, give me a problem I can solve.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm
1: not sure that's how he words it, but it's like, um, you just know that moment when you're so overwhelmed and you can't. It's just too big for any one person to tackle. Right. And so you just become resigned. I mean, these poor people. They need their jobs. So, okay, I might get cancer 10 years from now, but I'm getting a paycheck now, and what am I going to do about it? Right. I can't fight the man. Right. And that's so sad. It's just so sad. Yeah, so that moment. Yeah. That moment really struck a chord with me. Um, What else? Oh, the scene on the porch with Cher in Merrill Street where Cher's. Girlfriend is thrown after her husband. She's mm-hmm. sure is crying. And Meryl's
0: just singing her lullaby. Well yeah, this is maybe the the first uh, movie where Meryl sings too. Actually, um, Amazing oh. Grace. I think maybe I don't remember her singing before yeah. this, but um, and actually, it's one of those things again. Once you if you see this movie multiple times, because Amazing Grace comes in a couple of times throughout the the movie, but. The last five minutes or so of the movie—not that, not even that long—last two or three movement, minutes of the movie. Um, basically, there's the last scene that she has on the porch with Kurt Russell, and then she gets in her car and is going. You know, she's going to go meet with the New York Times reporter, and I'm telling you, as soon as they start playing. Um, Amazing Grace again and as soon as it it it, like that's one of the moments where once you've seen the movie a bunch of times you know it's coming and you're like no don't play it you know what it means when they when that song starts playing and um I it's so kind of interesting to me that the the way really that they choose to end the movie was so they the last scene that she has with Kurt Russell, you know, again, they don't know that they're saying goodbye forever. And, you know, she just thinks she's going to, I think she's actually going to a meeting and then to get, you know, and then to the New York times reporter or something like that. And, um, so she pretends to flash him. She's fully clothed, but you know, like she opens her jacket and pretends to flash him. And, it's like two minutes after that, that, you know, again, they play Amazing Grace kind of on a loop and they show these these moments and they show that same moment again, which is did yeah. you did you notice that 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 is yeah. th- they showed it again like two minutes later? And, it, you know, instead of showing something from the earlier part of the movie, um, that was the moment, which to me was kind of interesting that I but I guess it's kind of reinforcing the like the last time she's seen or something but um, I don't know I thought that choice was kind of interesting
1: yeah I can see I can see the reason for doing it I can also see why it's not a great idea (laughs) since you just saw it I also think um, what I'm sure worked in 1983 which is this, this slow sort of montage with the sad song, slow motion thing, um, it's it's a little harder to have impact with that now because we're so used to seeing it.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, And so I didn't feel the emotional impact of that like I wanted to, and I do think that's just the sign of the times. I' yeah. just seen I've seen it done so many times and I and I, I just think that was it like I'm sure if I had seen the movie in 1983 in the movie theater I would have been falling my freaking eyes out right <laughs> I
0: do think I <laughs> because do I was moved by the movie you know? yeah it wasn't
1: like it was a flaw in the film
0: right I agree with you there are those movies because I've had that happen. Um, I'm sure you have too, I'm sure all, all our listeners have too. Where if you see a movie in the theater and it gets you, you know, whether you actually cry or just are are deeply moved by it, but then you watch it again on on DVD or whatever format, and it's not quite as um, moving, you know. There's something about it yeah. because it's on on video, and you're not like investing a hundred percent of your attention to it, you know. Um, right. There is a difference there. Right. Oh, can I talk about one of my favorite scenes? It it got yeah. me. It got me today. Um, I always liked this scene, but I don't know why it stuck out to me today. I'm curious if you know if you remember this scene, having just seen it one time. Um, when she is first back from Washington D.C., and they are somewhere where they're showing pictures um, projected, and she's sitting next to Kurt Russell who is her, you know, her boyfriend in the movie yeah. and there are these pictures of her there with the union guy with his arm yeah. around her and they look like a couple i love yeah. her acting in that scene so much cuz you yeah. can see so much on her face that they're like this doesn't look so good uh-oh this is going to be a problem you see kurt russell kind of remove his, his arm from her shoulder you see her not panic But you see, I mean, like you can just see everything kind of on her face. It really is amazing. And my favorite moment in that whole thing is she kind of checks. Somebody says something and she kind of uses it as a reason to laugh and kind of turn to him to kind of gauge his reaction. Like, oh, are you going to laugh too? Kind of give me a clue that everything's okay here and you're not mad at me. And he doesn't. And then you kind of see her turn. You know, I don't think she bites her lip necessarily, but she does something where it's like you just – it's – uh, to me, that she's scene totally was. Rejected. Yeah. yeah, that scene is yeah, just she, so. Yeah. yeah, it's she's so good in this movie. I don't know. I just love her performance so much in this movie. It's such a like. It's it's a Meryl we haven't seen before. It's like kind of a a naughty, character. You know, like I. Yep. I that's a not a great word, I suppose, but like you know, she's kind of mischievous. She's kind of. Um, you know, she's she's a prankster. She's you know just kind of a a full of life person and um yeah it's such a kind of loose performance but then you also get to see this Meryl that we we do come to know this just like can act her ass off um so I don't know seeing seeing both sides of that in the same movie to me is just amazing I don't know I just love her performance in this
1: almost wonder if coming off of Sophie's the, choice helped her probably I, I mean it's so intense and it's so um, I'm going to try and think of the right word I, not academic but I mean it's heavy duty it's, it's heavy duty work on an actor with the accent work and and the content not that this it isn't but it's I think a little closer to home in terms of just who we are as modern women. Sure. I almost feel I almost feel like Karen book is probably easier for her to tap into. It probably oh. felt really good after coming off of something like Sophie's
0: Choice. Yeah, which is which is kind of an interesting to say because it's not exactly like a um, you know it doesn't end so happily either. But there's something about it wow. that um, is. Like you say, it probably well. It was probably nice to speak, you know, like herself essentially <laughs> again. And yeah, um, yeah, I don't. I agree with you. I agree with you. Oh God, the shower scenes
1: when they're scrubbing her down. Yeah, oh. I know. And, and her acting afterward just just it's so interesting because you know you know she didn't really get scrubbed down, but she just captures that that sense of just being raw. Right. Um, Physically and emotionally,
0: totally raw and spent. Right. This movie marked uh, a three-year run for Meryl, which is actually her longest run, where she was nominated for Best Actress three consecutive years um, for French Lieutenant's Woman, then Sophie's Choice, which she won, and then for this one, for Silkwood. So, um, you know, I mean, like, she really was reigning the Academy Awards in the early 80s. Because by that point, remember, she had also just won supporting actress in 1979. So in between... 19, oh, yeah. In between 1979 and 1983, well, I guess it would have been 84 that she would have been nominated for this. But um, it... yeah, I mean, like, she owned the Oscars for those, you know, seven, eight years, whatever. That's kind of an amazing run. Cher was not allowed to uh, put any makeup on. Which uh, I guess she had a she had a problem with and she kept trying to to cheat. But uh, Mike Nichols would come and he would like rub his hands down her face to see if anything would come off on his fingers. And so one time she like curled an eyelash or or curled her eyelashes or something like that. And uh, Mike Nichols said, don't do that again. And she said, "You know he said it gently, he wasn't mean about it, but she was like, he, I also got the point like don't don't do this again, you know this is not <laughs> this is not chair that you're playing. This is somebody who would not look a certain way, so um
1: i wonder if that inspired at all the scene where <laughs> there's scene where her girlfriend puts the makeup on her and she walks like <laughs> well, her ruffles, so she looks like a corpse, <laughs> yeah." Her girlfriend's a makeup artist at the the funeral home, for those who haven't seen the film, and she she does chair up, and the the makeup is actually truly bad. I do kind of wonder.
0: (laughs) Could be. Uh. Could be. Um, One thing to note is that, um, oh, speaking of Dolly, uh, Lily Tomlin auditioned for the role of Dolly. Too. That would have been yeah. interesting too. I think Cher was the right choice. It would have, you know, I love Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin is another one of my all-time favorites, but um, I think Cher, Cher was great in this movie. I don't think that was uh, a mistake, you know? Yeah. No, um definitely not. One of the things that I thought was really interesting was because this was based on a real person and based on a real case, how careful they had to be script wise about the accuracy of everything with that, with the company, because, you know, they could have very, very easily been sued for basically anything that wasn't factually accurate. So they, you know, really went to kind of extreme lengths to make sure everything was factual. That actually
1: could explain why we didn't get more cooked material. in terms of what she was discovering and when. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Right. I do, there is this sense that they're, they're like, walking a fine line or, like, trying not to point the finger at anybody in the film, which you know, watching it now, you're like, should I be pointing the finger a little bit more because I'm pretty sure they're up to no good. You're telling me they're up to no good. It's not in so many words. And so, yeah, that was sort of a question mark for me, but that would make total
0: sense. Interesting. That's interesting that you had that impression that it didn't feel like they were um, that basically that, I don't want to speak for you, of course, but like the, that you, you didn't feel necessarily like they really uh, went after the company as much as they could have, right? No.
1: I, let me put it this way. It was very clear the company was up to no good, but it wasn't clear
0: how. Like oh, they
1: don't sure. They just don't go there. Right. So you know something, Hinky, was going on with the truck that night. And you know, you get snippets of it, like the showers aren't clean, and but, you know, employees were Feeling those plutonium pellets out of the company on a regular basis. There are a lot of stuff going on, right? According to what I've read, that doesn't ever get mentioned. Like, they really don't put a spotlight on that company. Yeah, not really. Yeah, it's very. Um, it's all like between the lines.
0: Yeah. Well, and I I agree with what I think you're saying too, which is I mean they could have and probably if they had gone the route of not making it the actual company, you know, if they had just said inspired by true events and kind of like changed the names and all of that, um, they probably could have gotten away with making them much more menacing than they, you know, than they are in the the movie. But yeah, they, they really did have to be careful because it was a company that still was, you know, in existence. and So they had to just make sure they weren't, sued for everything but
1: i actually really want to read that supreme court decision um i'm going to track it down and and uh, read it before our next podcast nice i'm curious about it
0: nice um i'm curious
1: i'm curious on what grounds it made it all the way to the supreme court
0: yeah um that's yeah. a big deal. Well, and they eventually, the company eventually settled with Karen Silkwood's kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they made, I yeah. think the initial settlement was for like 10 million or something. I don't have it in front right. of me, but.
1: No, so the original verdict was I think ten thousand and then ten million in punitive damages. And the Court of Appeals overturned um, that judgment and gave them five thousand in actual damages and then eradicated the punitive damages claim and that that went to the Supreme Court. I'm not sure I'm not sure on what grounds as uh. I read. And then um, they reinstated I read that they reinstated the, the verdict. I don't think that's actually true. I think they remanded um, because then the company settled for I think one point
0: three right one point three million right. That's that's the part the that I knew too. That that's what they eventually got was one point three million. But yeah, you're right. I'm not sure how it kind of all shook down in the in between time. I'm I, I imagine that uh, litigation probably took quite a while to to get through. Oh, yeah, but um. Yeah, interesting. Well, uh I have my lists. We were talking ahead of time. You don't have yeah. your your lists, but um so without being officially on the record, where would where do you imagine this will rank for you? Do you feel like this will be kind of top third, middle third or bottom third?
1: I don't I don't remember. I think we've been ranking the movies and then her performances. Right. Um and I think as of right now, my top performance my favorite performance of hers is actually Julie and Julia. Okay. I think I have her. I think so. I can't remember. This is definitely in the top five. I've got oh. to take a look at my list, but I, I, like, I would definitely, I would even maybe put it at the top. I really love her in this
0: yeah um
1: so it lived lived up to the height you gave it
0: well good good um i'll i'll run through my list here i'll just read them down and then um i'll put them in the show notes for the for anybody who's that interested in them as well and then like you say hopefully um you'll have the opportunity to you know one of these weeks get yours in there too just so we can have kind of a comparison in there yeah um
1: just to fill everybody in when i moved to new york i didn't i didn't bring my list with me it got lost it got lost in the craziness, so I've, I've got to go back, and we have an episode somewhere
0: yeah, where I've listed them. I'm yeah. going to go track it down. Yeah, it fell off the so truck. It fell off the truck, but yeah. something's got to, right? <laughs> um, so currently, I think I counted them just a minute ago, and I think we've done maybe 22 movies. So um, in my ranking from top to bottom for films, not necessarily her performance, but the films um, okay for me are The Post, The Hours, Silkwood, Kramer versus Kramer, Adaptation, Out of Africa, Deer Hunter, Postcards from the Edge, Julia and Julia, Devil Wears Prada, um, Mary Poppins Returns, Florence Foster Jenkins, Manhattan, Mamma Mia, Heartburn, Still of the Night, Mamma Mia 2, She Devil, Julia, The Homesman, House of the Spirits, and Before and After, Still Bringing Up the Rear, um, and then for me, for performances, Silkwood is number one. Um, it just displaced Postcards from the Edge, which um, is another really wow. beloved performance. But I think this one gets the edge for me. Um, so it performances at Silkwood, Postcards from the Edge, The Post, Julie and Julia, The Hours, Devil Wears Prada, Adaptation, Kramer versus Kramer, Mama Mia, Florence Foster Jenkins, Out of Africa, Deer Hunter, Mama Mia 2, Heartburn, Still of the Night, before and After, She-Devil, Mary Poppins Returns, House of the Spirits, The Homesman, Manhattan, and then at the very bottom is Julia, mostly because she is only in that for like two seconds. Most of most of the like smaller roles are, are towards the bottom of the performances ones yeah. there. It's hard to rank them if she's like the Homesman, you know, she's in two minutes of that one too, and, and Manhattan Julia. for that matter. So, but. We're getting through. You know, it. if
1: we wanted to really overcomplicate things, we could we could split out like those smaller supporting roles and her actual like films that
0: center around her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody needs that.
1: <laughs> we could take a vote. I'm sure everyone's like, meh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> for me it, for me it works to just have those be towards the bottom that way i don't feel bad actually for me that's what it is is then i don't feel bad for movies where she's actually in a lot because something has to be at the bottom i mean just something has to be that's at the true. bottom and so right now i have like house of the spirits and she devil and before and after kind of towards the bottom of her performances i don't think yeah. those are bad performances those just aren't the same as silkwood and the post you know so It makes me feel better because then I can justify those bottom four by saying, well, she's not in enough, you know, and that's less than like, oh, she, you know, it's not that good a movie. (laughs) It's not. I know, right? So I don't know. We're in the business of admiring
1: Meryl Streep on this podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing. (laughs) is I mean as you know I've seen everything that she's done the only one that I hadn't seen when we started this podcast was The Deer Hunter which now I have seen so I've seen everything that she's done and I I, I mean spoiler alert she's never been bad she's she's genuinely no. never been bad and I don't even think there's a performance that I can think of where she's kind of bad you know what I mean the the bottom one Um, that I have here where she's actually really in the movie a lot is house of the spirits. It's not a bad movie. It's just kind of a fucked up movie. I don't enjoy that movie, you know? So it's not that she's bad in it. It's just kind of torturous that movie. So I don't want to watch it again, (laughs) but um, so anyway, Um, all right. So our other segments, unless you, you, did you have anything else to say about Silkwood? Oh, I'm good. Right.
1: Everybody go watch
0: it. Yeah, it's so good. It is out on Blu-ray um, for anybody who, who collects it. The DVD had gone out of print, and um, so you can find it on Blu-ray now. They just released it within the last year or so. So um, there's yeah, a... I also have
1: to tell you it is not available for
0: streaming. So oh, really? So if you are looking for just a
1: sort of quick watch, you're not going to get it with
0: this movie. You will have to order it. How, how, is that how you, you did? Did you order the movie, the DVD or something? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> we'll answer I, that one off the air. It's, yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I watched it in a completely
1: legal way.
0: Okay. Well, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. If you like rented it from the library or borrowed it from a friend, that's yeah. legal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So our other segments we have, let's maybe start with the um, Six Degrees. So your suggestion last time was Regina King. Did you Did you think of any?
1: Okay, so I tried really hard to um, uh, do this without help. Okay. So I didn't get it in three people. But she's in... So American Crime, Timothy Hutton is in that. Timothy Hutton is also in French Kiss with Kevin Fine, who's in Sophie Stories with Meryl Streep.
0: Interesting. Okay, that's a, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, did you get it in three?
0: Um, Actually, there is a way to connect it in one, actually. It's kind of a borderline one. But she, Regina King and Meryl Streep are actually both voices in uh, The Ant Bully, which is an animated movie, which I had forgotten about completely. So it is possible to get it in one. The, The one that I thought of that's two, that I think is more, I don't know, it sort of depends whether you count the voice work thing or not. So the one that I thought of, Um, basically as soon as I started thinking about movies with her was Jerry Maguire, which she was in with Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise was in that Lion for Lambs movie with Meryl. So I think that's one or two, whatever. Um, So that was the one. And I feel like I could be wrong. Um, I feel like there was another Tom Cruise connection somewhere in there, actually. Um, Oh, I know what it was. Regina King is in Ray with Jamie Foxx, who's in Collateral with Tom Cruise oh, so I didn't at all. yeah yeah Wait, no I, I like see. her and I like her in Ray and I like her in Jerry Maguire too actually so um, she's a really really great actress um, though the person that we're gonna do next time is probably actually even easier um, it's Jack Lemon we're doing it's harder with people who like were around for a long I mean Regina King's been around now since the early 90s too Right um, But like Jack Lemmon goes way back So there's probably like a bunch of connections But it's okay if it's kind of easy That way more people can play really um, And you yeah. can you can always play with us Meryl Streep at, Or Podcast at com. If you think of like a really cool one That you don't think we've thought of Send it to us um, Our other segment is The Movies You Wish Meryl Was In Do you have any ideas for that one?
1: not been on top of that. I, Movies, I wish Meryl was in everything. <laughs> what do you think?
0: Um, You know, I don't know. It's it's mostly because, um, I don't know, I've been watching more TV. Boy, this is, I, I don't have a specific one either. I guess I'm excited for uh, Big Little Lies to see what she can do in Big Little Lies oh. because... I keep thinking of, like, this great television stuff that's coming. Again, Breaking Bad, just walking. You know, there wasn't really a part for her in Breaking Bad, and I'm not saying she should have been in Breaking Bad, but, um, you know, something like that where you can see her kind of take a role and and do something with it over maybe multiple seasons. Um, The one thing that I was kind of wondering about was she was supposed to have a television show. She was going to do one called The Knicks with J.J. Abrams, which I think news of that broke when you and I first started doing this podcast and nothing has come right? of it so I don't know if that's still happening or not I think it's still listed on her IMDB so basically what that means is nobody else is you know slotted into that it just has nothing has happened yet but um,
1: yeah um, you know I, you know I'm excited about Big Little Lies is because she's not she, she's just a brilliant character actor but she's just playing a like modern woman close to herself. Right. And I'm sure it's a character, but there's no accent. I'm assuming there's no wigs. You know, I would just like to see her just use her chops.
0: Right. Well, and, um, in e- that way. And even named Mary Louise, you know, they named the character basically yeah. after her. So, um, yeah big little lies season two i have high hopes for it's interesting because they've basically already come out i don't know if you saw this but they basically have come out and said there's not going to be a season three um which to be fair i think they also said the same thing about season two when they first did it i think they were like this is a limited thing and then they after it was a giant hit they kind of came back we're like okay maybe we'll do another one so i'm not it's not really impossible but they were they basically have come out this week and they're they're starting to do promo for it. And um, I saw a thing saying that, um, you know, don't get your hopes up for season three. There are no plans right now to do season three. So um, that probably was... I need a, to it. Yeah, I do too, actually, before before season two, which I think is in June, maybe that they're doing that. But um, the other thing, I'm curious just to kind of wrap up here. the um, I saw this article. Uh, I can't remember if, what it was but they were saying that um you know oscars are coming up is it next sunday that they are it's like a week from tomorrow I yeah think. and um i don't think i don't think there's been any announcements of whether meryl would be there she's not nominated so but you know she could hypothetically present or something and they were saying that um she would be an ideal person to present the best picture that she and jack nicholson would be um you know Basically, they said Jack Nicholson's been able to do that a whole bunch of times. They said he he's done it like six or seven times. But Meryl has, you know, presented a lot of other awards, but never the Best Picture, which is kind of the the biggest award You're of the right? evening. So yeah, there's something there. So there was just kind of a, a public push that's saying that she should get that honor. You know? Yeah, that'd be great. And they they do have a host, right? Hosts? Nope. And and they've committed to that. They've they've said we're not going to have a host. It's going to be. Host by committee, basically. It's gonna be host by you
1: Well, know, that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I think I think the Oscars has been folding on to a format that was successful. Um, obviously they've had a post for a while. Um, all the way back to you know, pop posting is great. But like I think the nineties was peak when Billy Crystal when it was almost like musical theater up there. Right. Um, big musical numbers, and, I, you know, you had, like, you're just real entertainers still doing it, and that's just not working anymore. Yeah. For whatever reason, it's just not working. But You know, stand-up comedy alone, just, like, a comic, that's not enough either. It's too grand of a stage and um, an event to have just stand up... Like, something's not working. They gotta
0: work on format. Right. Well, and it's become almost... Like you say, I actually... I kind of am making the same point, I guess. But it's almost an impossible show to host in some ways. It's it's kind of... Yeah. It's just... And, and one of the key reasons is, except for Billy Crystal, you know, who does the musical shtick. I mean, Seth MacFarlane did when he hosted it, too. It's just, unfortunately, the song he sang was We Saw Your Boobs, which was focused on, like, all the nude scenes that the female performers had done, which is a little bit different than, like, yeah, a little bit different than, you know, the typical song and right. dance kind of stuff that they did. But the whole yeah. thing with, like, stand-up comedians is, if you think of the last few years, you've had Jimmy Kimmel and Ellen and Chris Rock and, I, you know, other people that I can't remember and john stewart some years ago steve martin you know but i think stand-up comedy even more so than than other genres is like there are going to be certain people who love that host and certain people who hate them it's all whether or not they happen to kind of fit your brand of humor and you almost need somebody really broad that's why like johnny carson was great he just kind of appealed to everybody he was he kind of played it down the line in a way he never really did anything controversial he was genuinely funny and same thing with Billy Crystal you know he's not gonna insult anybody he's just gonna kind of um, I don't know I don't know what he does so yeah. well but everybody likes him you know um, yeah. Yeah. so I'm not sure who that person really is right now um, besides no. Billy Crystal they could just have Billy Crystal do it again and I think people would be happy <laughs> but hey um, great. I don't know. Anyway, so we'll see how it goes. It'll be fun to to talk about it when we get back. And when we do, what movie are we going to do? What's up next?
1: The River Wild.
0: Yeah, we're going to the Ah. 90s now. Uh, We just did 80s. Yeah, this is one of my favorites, too. We're doing two of my favorites in a row. River Wild is the first movie of hers that I saw in the theater when I was young. So um, it takes takes us back to the beginning for me. But... um, Cool. Well, um, thanks for hanging in there with us, everybody. We'll be back as soon as we can, and we'll see you next time. Take care. The nominees for for the best performance by an actress in a supporting role in a motion picture are...
1: Barbara Carrera in Never Say Never Again.
0: Cher in Silkwood.
1: Tess Harper in Tender Mercies.
0: Linda Hunt in The Year of Living Dangerously.
1: Joanna Pakula in Gorky Park.
0: And the winner is... Yay. Cher in Central! Wait a minute, something will come to me. (laughs) Just look at my dress until I can think of something. (laughs) I would, uh, I would, I would like to thank uh, my mother, and I would like to um, thank Sonny, and I would like to thank my, my children uh, for believing in me when, when all you Hollywood moguls wouldn't give me a job. And, and I really don't have anything to say, but uh, I'd like to thank Robert Altman, who just does not care about this the pressure of of making a hit in this business and who gave me a job when no one else would, and for Mike Nichols, who um, was wonderful, and for Meryl Streep, who is the best
1: friend I've ever had, and uh, for Kurt Russell, who is an idiot. Thank you.
0: That's all.